0: Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse 14. I want to preach on understanding personal separation. Understanding personal separation. Now admittedly, some people just hearing the word separation, immediately it turns them off. They're not going to be separated uh, no matter what you tell them, no matter what you say to them. But for the child of God, who has a desire, number one, to be used of the Lord, number two, to please the Lord, it is going to require some personal separation. That's all there is to it. Now, thank God our personal separation has nothing to do with taking us to heaven. It is something that a person who appreciates what Christ did for them, it's something that they will want in their life because they appreciate what the Lord has done. If you understand that, it makes all the difference in the world. For instance, people who think you've got to do certain things in order to go to heaven, that's works, that's a false gospel, doesn't save anybody. But we believers believe that because I'm saved, there are certain ways that I ought to live. Things that I should do and things that I shouldn't do, and that's just normal. Even when I was a lost person, I understood that Christians were to be different. I mean, if your salvation didn't change you at all, you didn't get it. You might have caught religion, like catching COVID, but like COVID, you'll get over it. Or it'll kill you. One of the two things will happen. All right. But understanding personal separation. Notice beginning of verse 14. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study... To show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having, the seal, or having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these... He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Who are taken captive by him at his will. Father, I do pray you'll bless our time together. May the Spirit of God give me clarity of thought. Fill me with the Spirit. Guide my words tonight. Lord, may your will... Be perfectly understood by your people tonight. We ask for you to move upon us. And may our desire to be vessels undue honor. May we understand the term tonight. And Lord, we'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, separation has come to mean a number of different things today to Christians. And to some people, when you say the word separation, immediately their mind goes to Deuteronomy. I don't know why. That's only a small part of it. To some, it's simply a list of do's and don'ts. To some, separation, it is happens to be chains that keep them from enjoying life. And to others, it is what's wrong with Christianity. Separation. They hate the term. They hate the thought. They just can't stand it that God would actually expect them to be different than the way society is going. But you cannot read the Bible without realizing that the Christian is to be different from those in the lost world around them. The Bible is very plain. This difference is caused by the things in the Christian life that are not in the lives of the lost and vice versa. Many call this difference personal separation. Matter of fact, turn over for a moment to the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, This is just one place. This is taught in several places. But in Ephesians chapter 4, notice beginning in verse 17. When he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. My, look at those terms that he talks about, the lost. Now, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we are children of light and children of the day. We are not of the darkness. And we're to walk as children of light, walking in the light. For God is light. And were are to walk in light. But we go on. He says of these people who being past feeling have given themselves over under lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. You see, this is a work of regeneration. When God gives you eternal life, you become alive to spiritual things. And the type of darkness of the world, I don't care if it's the tic-tac or tic-tock type of Christianity. Tic-tock type, that's tough to say. I'm not going to try it five times real fast. But it's amazing how there are so many Christians, they are up to date on all the fashions, no matter how ungodly or weird or strange that they might be. And they, wanna, they want their church to be just like the world. They want their worship services to be just like the world's worship services in the nightclubs and with their song styles and all of that. But we're to be different. We're supposed to be different. I would not want to go to a church that even though they had the religious words, looked just like the people that walk in darkness because of the ignorance that is in them. Some of you remember when a tough soldier by the name of David Lewis got saved. David was tough, and David was rough. God saved him. And there were a number of things that God began working in David's life. Now, some things he changed right away. Other things, I got some stories that I could tell you about, and we'd have a laugh, but this is going out over the Internet, and so I'm not going to share those with you right now. But he was rough in a number of areas. I mean, hey, that had been his lifestyle. But he got saved. We we went on a missions trip about three months after David got saved. His wife at that time, it was Chong Lewis, uh, what a sweet gal. She brought David to our services on a Sunday morning. She went to the Korean church uh, over in another church in this city. But she wanted her husband to get saved. And she had heard that Madison Baptist Church was a getting saved place. And so she brought him here. When the service was over, Brother Ray Berry went up to him. And ask him, David, do you know if you die tonight, you go to heaven? And he had sloughed off a couple of other people who had asked him the same question. But looking into the eyes of Brother Barry, he just had to tell him the truth. No, I don't. And Brother Barry took him back and led him to Christ. And turned this old boy around. And now he has been a missionary for a number of years to the American military in South Korea. What an amazing work that God has done. But that's... What God does. He saves people and then he changes people. We watched him grow in the Lord. We saw an awful lot of the changes that took place. The text that we read speaks of this difference by using the word purge. Purge yourself. Purge yourself. Now, it even sounds strong, doesn't it? Something has to be done. I had 22 years of the world inside of me. I had 22 years of hearing cussing. I had 22 years of rock and roll music, country and western music. I had 22 years of a life without God. When I got saved, there were some things that needed to be purged from my life. It didn't all happen at one time, but God began to move upon me. That word purge, by the way, in our text literally means to cleanse out thoroughly or to remove from. We had the idea given to us over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 when the Bible says, Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. Now what I want to do tonight, I want to give you five concepts of this matter of separation ...from the text that we were looking at when we read at the beginning of the message. First of all, there is the purging of salvation. Now, I dare say, all of us could probably state some areas of our life... ...that have not been completely purged yet. But the very idea of the command to purge, it requires, it demonstrates a personal choice... If you're not going to make a choice, God's not just going to zap you about everything and suddenly now you're all walking in victory and everything's like it ought to be. There are some things that God took away from me immediately when I got saved. As you've heard me give testimony before, one of the things he took away from me when I got saved, he took away my cursing mouth, my foul mouth, took it away right away. For some people, it may be alcohol he takes away from them. You say, didn't he take alcohol away from you? No, I never had it. I didn't have a problem with alcohol because I didn't drink. By the way, I didn't smoke either. He didn't have to take cigarettes away from me because I didn't smoke. It wasn't that I thought myself better than anybody. I just saw no sense in putting that stuff in my body. It didn't look healthy. didn't look right. I can remember when I was a young boy, we used to have one of those big barrels in the backyard. How many had those where you burned your trash? Anybody burned your trash back then? Well, you do that today, you're gonna get arrested. But but back then that's how we got rid of our trash. We didn't have anybody come by and pick it up. We had to we put it in the barrel and we set it on fire. And of course you had to stand around and watch it, make sure that nothing got out and caught anything else. But I, I, I was told that smoke follows beauty. All I know is that no matter where I stood around that barrel, the smoke ended up coming to me. And I didn't appreciate it, and I didn't like it. So why on earth would I want to put that smoke in my body? Besides, if God wanted me to smoke, he made my nose out of brick and put it on top of my head. <laughs> now, if you're a smoker, bless your heart. But that's not anything I had to break. It's a tough thing to break. There are a lot of things that are tough things to break for people. God doesn't take everything away right away, but he tells you, purge it. Purge it. There are some things you need to get some personal victories in in your life. Purge it. And there are some things in this passage that he mentions. First of all, you've got to purge yourself from error. Verses 15 through 18, he covers that in this book. He says, study, first of all, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. You need to know what to believe. You need to know what to believe by reading the truth. Find out what God says and you better be careful about reasoning things. I want to tell you something. Calvinism is reasonable, but it's unscriptural. People get into Calvinism because they they come with some basic reasons, not biblical reasons, but basic reasons. They say since God is God, he is sovereign, and because he's sovereign, here's where the leap comes. We believe God is sovereign. The leap is this, that if God wills something to be done, then it has to be done. They just do not understand that a sovereign God can sovereignly set up for man to have a free will. He can create man with a free will. And according to the scripture, he's done exactly that. But you see, and they reason from that point. Every part of Calvinism comes out of that reasoning that anything God wills has to take place. And from that point on, it leads them into all kind of error. And that's sad. So that they end up teaching about a God who is not the God of the Bible. He's the God of John Calvin and Augustine's own mind and reasoning. Now, having said that, this isn't a message about Calvinism. However, the point is this. You need to separate from error. Simply obeying and believing the Word of God... And standing by doctrinal purity, what does the scripture say? When it comes to the epistles, I firmly believe that the people that the writer of each of the epistles was writing to were expected to understand the letter that they got. The writer would often make it very personal to them. They knew who was writing and they were to understand it the way it was written. God's word is plain. You see, he didn't write the book. For the theologian. He wrote the book for the believer. And that's the main part of this whole thing. We need to separate from error. In 2 Timothy 3.16, the scripture says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God, the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And then he says, I charge thee, therefore, before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Don't preach John MacArthur. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Man, we got a great book. You say, but but I I need to see other people's notes. He didn't say study the notes, he said study the word. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Over in the book of Ephesians, he tells us in chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then he tells us that it's so that we won't be blown about by every wind of doctrine, but that we come together based around the truth. Now, listen, you can get on the Internet today and you can hear every every real truth of Scripture and every false truth of Scripture in one day just going around to the different preachers. And sadly, there are way too many Christians that do not have enough discernment to know the difference. Separate from error. Purge yourself. From error. By the way, note Paul's comment over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Of course, this was a church that had a number of problems. Now, one of their problems, of course, was that they were divided, and he deals in the first four chapters with that. They also had some false beliefs based on reasoning. The reason they were eating meat offered in sacrifice to idols in chapter 8 was because they said, hey, there's no God but one. Well, that's true. And that the idols are all false gods. Therefore, any meat that's sacrificed to an idol is sacrificed to a false god, which is absolutely nothing anyway, so it's all right to go ahead and eat it. In chapter 10, he'll tell them, it's not that the idols are nothing, but what the Gentiles sacrifice to, they sacrifice to devils, and I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. He makes it very plain. But you see, they started out with reasoning, And it led them to a false belief. He says this of them in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 11. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I partly believe it. Now look at this. For there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. What was the problem at the church at Corinth? They got to listening to some people who came in. And gave them a false gospel. They were open minded. When they should have been closed minded about this. There is only one gospel. There's not ten ways to get saved. There's only one way to get saved. And you don't get saved by the law. You get justified by faith. And he makes that very plain. When you're not careful. About what you listen to. That's why the Bible says mark them. Which cause divisions and offenses. Contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. And what? Avoid them. Avoid them. You stand on the truth of God's word. When you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he even tells us, I believe it's in verse 12. He says, how say some of you that there is no resurrection? In the passage that we just read, there were some people that were saying the resurrection is past. At Corinth, there were people who were saying there is no resurrection. Now, Paul had taught them all better than that. They should have known what happened. They were listening to people give doctrinal error as if it belonged on the same plane with truth. Shame on them. That's their problem. Separate from error. Not only that, separate from iniquity. Look at verse 19. In verse 19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stand is sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His and... Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You see, that's what Joseph promised. The amazing thing about Joseph in the scripture back in the book of Genesis, he didn't even have a Bible. But when Potiphar's wife came around and began to try to seduce him, the Bible says that he rebuked her and then he fled. He got out of there. He didn't stay there. He didn't act, well, I I don't want to act like I'm shocked about this. You know, it's time God's people start acting shocked about sin. Of course, we're not going to do that if we continue to fill our heads and hearts with it from the TV or from the Internet. You're going to be shocked about it. You're going to have to be careful what goes into the eye gate. The Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And then a couple verses after that, he says, let your eyes look right on. You better be careful what you see. Job said, mine eye affecteth my heart because of all the daughters of this city. Yes, you've got to be careful what you look at. Separate from iniquity. In First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, the Bible says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Your life should show that something has happened to you. You have been saved. You're not like what you were. You are different now because you've been born again. You went from being a child of darkness to a child of light. And your life is to demonstrate that. Ephesians 5.3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Now get this. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints this is not in order to go to heaven this is because you're going to heaven because you are a saint there are certain things if you've been born again you're a saint you belong to God and your life is to show that you have been born again you've heard people say well those people down there they do this and so and they say they're saved well obviously you do certain things don't get upset when people think you're lost If you're going to live like the lost, talk like the lost, act like the lost, don't be surprised when people think you're lost. You may be saved and going to heaven, but people just think you're a Philistine. I mean, if you saw Goliath come down the hill because he looked like a Philistine, acted like a Philistine, talked like a Philistine, everybody figured he was a Philistine, and they were right. Some of you are mulling that over, I can tell by the look on your face. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Now get this, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And our walk is to be like we're people who have a fear of, of the Lord in Titus 2, 11, 12 and 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all, or to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So yes, we separate from error and we are to separate from iniquity. This is understanding, personal separation. We have the responsibility to purge ourselves of certain things. Notice also number three, separate from lust. Look at verse 22. Flee also youthful lust. Now what on earth could he be talking about with youthful lust? Some believe that it's the desire to have and the desire to be and the desire to to do. The reality is today that people are basically controlled by their desires. As a matter of fact, when you're controlled by your desires, you'll never be all that you can be in any part of life. You need to take control of some things. Now, here he's talking about youthful lust. That desire to have, and so I want to get everything that I want to have. I want to have this, I want to have that, I want to have that. Don't worry about that. What gets people in trouble, by the way, with gambling? Because they want to have. They want to have. They want to have. And they think if they get good enough at gambling, finally they'll have everything they want. What is all this about the TikTok challenges and all that? Everybody, uh, we, we want to have popularity. We want to have fame. Uh, we want that. Or the desire to be. The desire to be someone special. You know, I'm just glad I'm a child of God. I want to be used of the Lord. That's my desire. However, he decides to do that. That's fine with me. And the desire to do. What is it you want to be in life? You know, it would be great to hear some young people say, I want to do in life what God wants me to do in life. I'll go, Lord, to school where you want me to go. Lord, I want to be what you want me to be. Now, Lord, what do you want me to be? Show me, Lord, what you would have me to be. Listen, too many young people, not just Madison Baptist Church. This is is a problem in churches all over the place. Matter of fact, very few young people come through our churches anymore with a desire to simply know God's will and do it, whatever it is. Sure, when I was a kid, I had a number of things I wanted to be. I wanted to be a cowboy. I wanted to be a professional baseball player. As I grew up, I found out my skills weren't good enough to be a professional baseball player, so I wanted to be a big-time sports commentator. I wanted to be the next Ernie Harwell. For those of you who don't know that name, for many, many years, he was the announcer for the Detroit Tigers. So that'd be great, just the timing didn't work out. He hung on way too long. By that time, I was saved and, and out of there. Uh, but I had, a, I had a lot of desires about what I wanted to be. The reason I got in radio, I had to do a sports broadcasting. That's, that's what I wanted. Even tried out for the Cleveland Cavaliers. We took a trip over there when they were looking for a, in Cleveland, Cleveland of all the places in the world to start out. Um, but I didn't get that and that's fine. That's fine. Uh, God kept me from that. But this matter of desires. Jesus' desire, according to the scriptures, was to do the will Of the Father. We have to have young people that want to do the will of God, whatever that is. And then we're not only to separate from lust, we're to separate from ignorance. Look at verse 23. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Well, where do you think Cain got his wife? You know what? Doesn't matter. He got her from his mother-in-law. Who happened to be his mom. That's where he got his wife. All right. You say, but, but, but. Man, you don't understand the first thing if you're saying but about that. I mean, sin had just started taking hold. Death was just beginning. You wonder why all those people lived so long in uh, Genesis chapter 5. Sin had, they were going to die It just took a lot longer then. But then after the flood and the coverings were gone and sin having its full effect, the ages began to go down and they went down dramatically from living 900 and some years to 100 years to where by the time we get into the book of Psalms and it's written that uh, it's three score and seven, 70 years. In some societies, given over to wickedness and stuff, the average age of man is down to 50. Just depends on the society. But that sin, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for the all of sin. Some people are so ignorant. Well, just separate yourself from them. But don't you think, don't you think that there were UFOs in the Bible? Surely when you read uh, Ezekiel chapter 1, that those had to be UFOs. Why? Why did they have to be? Because you want to believe the nonsense? But well, you know, though, you, you understand that, of course, the world is flat and it's all a NASA conspiracy. Or NASA, not NASA, NASA conspiracy. And blame Brother Hostetler about that. He's the one who came up with the plan. No, he didn't. Good night. What, what presidential team has ever taken over office and they can't keep one secret from anybody It all gets out in the news media? Republican or Democrat, and you can think that the thousands of people that have worked for NASA have all gotten together, they've all kept their word, and they've all kept it silent. That's stupidity. But we love all those conspiracies. Now, I believe in conspiracies. They're started by the devil. A lot of times we're shooting at the wrong king. What we're doing is we're shooting at the humans who are in different positions of power instead of the one who's behind it all, and that's Satan himself. That's why I don't worry about the trilateral commission and the Illuminati. If that's what the devil's going to use to bring in the Antichrist, we're not going to stop it. God's already told us that the Antichrist is coming. But he doesn't come until Jesus comes back first and gets his people out of here. Wow, I love that stuff. Don't get me started. We'll never get out of here tonight. We need to separate ourselves from ignorance. Just get into the scripture. Get into the scripture. I remember we had an evangelist at Tennessee Temple. I know that Brother Weeks will remember this. Brother Nelson might remember. He was an evangelist at Tennessee Temple who was reading. He got to studying. He read a book about the alignment of the planets. The alignment of the planets was in the solar system, and it happens every so many years, where all the planets are basically on the same side of the sun, and not in an exact straight line, but nevertheless, these people were writing about the alignment of the planets that were supposed to take place in 1982, and it did. But before that, when they had written their book about what was going to take place, they said there are going to be earthquakes, there are going to be volcanoes. There's going to be diseases. There are going to be... Matter of fact, all those things they described seem to be right out of the book of Revelation. So this evangelist at Tennessee Temple, he read that and he thought, you know, figure it out. Let's wait a minute. Let's see if we can figure this out. Uh, Israel became a nation in 1948. And Jesus said this generation will not pass away until... These things were done. Well, a generation is 40 years. That's not always true. Sometimes it's 20. Sometimes it's 35. But it didn't fit if it was anything else. So he said 40 years. So that means Jesus would be coming back to the earth since Israel became a nation in 1948. In 1988, Jesus would be coming back. But we know that Jesus is coming back to catch the church away seven years before the tribulation. Because there's got to be before the tribulation takes place. So there's got to be seven years of tribulation. So subtract seven years from 1988, and you've got 1981. 1982, the alignment of the planets and all those things taking place. He did a television show. He got people to invest in a television show that played in several major cities around the country. I don't know how many people watched it, but people saw that. Man. 1948, 1988, 1981, 1982. Jesus coming back in 81. The only problem is he didn't. Separate from ignorance. Jesus said no man knows the day or the hour. God knows that's it. When somebody comes around, and tells you it's going to happen certain year, certain time, don't give them the time of day. Jesus has already spoken on the matter that takes care of it. As a matter of fact, there was one uh, guy, pardon me, there was one guy who, uh, who wrote a book that Jesus was going to come back, and I forget the date, it was June something of, I believe, 2006. And he made fun of people who said you couldn't know the day or the time or the hour. You couldn't know it. And he made fun of people about that. He says, and obviously, if Jesus doesn't come back on that particular day in 2006, then you'll know that this was not true. I knew it was not true when I read it. I didn't have to wait till then. But guess what? That was back in 2006. He hadn't come. I'm not disappointed in Jesus. Jesus. I'm disappointed in the ignorance of people that just simply won't take God at His word. God said, you're not going to know. You're not going to know. Period. He's coming as a thief in the night. And hallelujah, we'll be caught out of here. It could be today. Amen. Separate from ignorance. Man, some of these people love the psychic hotline. They're knowledgeable about the impossible things of Nostradamus. That People can make it say anything that they want to say. I don't know if there still is a National Enquirer, but, uh, man, they've had some really strange things in there with Elvis and JFK all being seen at the same place up in Canada fishing somewhere. Separate yourselves from those things. The purging of separation. Secondly, there's the praise of separation. For he mentions in verse 20 being vessels unto honor, some to honor and some to dishonor. Now, what on earth is he talking about? God honors those who separate themselves unto him. And it's amazing what God can and will do with any one of you. you. I don't care who you are. Young people, you could be greatly used to the Lord. You could be. But you're not going to be trying to keep a foot in the world and a foot in the church. You're going to have to make up your mind. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one, love the other, or else he will hold to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Very, very plain. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who said it. He can use you. There are those who are exalted because that is their goal. Their goal is to be exalted now. Matter of fact, you'll remember some of the disciples had that problem. Created some division. Jesus said, if you want to be exalted, then humble yourself. The way up is down. The way up is not trying to get up. The way up is down. Humble yourself. Because God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. There are those who just serve the Lord and let God take care of whatever comes. You look at Philip. Philip was a faithful deacon. He goes up to the Samaritans in chapter 8 of the book of Acts. And he has a tremendous revival. Many are saved. So many get saved that the church sent Peter and John up there to make sure everything that was being done was on the up and up like it should be. And it was tremendous revival. Thousands of people got saved. It was awesome. And so then God took Philip, who had been the faithful deacon, to preach the word of God, and he took him out to the desert where there was a man in a chariot, sitting in his chariot, reading from Isaiah 53. Philip ran up to him and he says, do you understand what you read? And he said, well, how can I except some man show me? And the Bible says Philip preached unto him Jesus. The Ethiopian eunuch was saved because Philip just simply wanted to do the will of God. He would do it with a crowd or with just one. It didn't matter. As a matter of fact, I personally feel if a preacher is not willing to preach to one, he has no business preaching to a thousand. Man, God called me to preach. It doesn't matter how big the crowd is. Oh, I like the big crowds. That's fine and dandy. Uh, that's okay, but it doesn't matter. Just to preach. Heard one preacher say, I'll, I'll preach at the drop of a hat, and I'll even drop the hat so that I can preach. That's good. By the way, after that, we see that God sends him to another place where he serves the Lord, and it so impacted the lives of his daughters that Philip's daughters became so winners. Madison Baptist Church didn't set out to be known around the country for its missions, but we are. But that was never the goal. That wasn't the goal of Brother Tony when he started Madison Baptist Church. It's never been my goal either. Matter of fact, I'll tell you what, when I came here, I had no idea of ever starting our own mission board. Never in the plan. And yet each person would surrender. Brother Bob Cook surrendered. Well, do you want to go out under a mission board? I got some good ones. I'll, I'd be glad to give you. He'd say, no, I want to go out under the church, like Brother Tony. Then Brother Nelson surrendered. I want to go out under the church. And then was who was next? Brother Westenberger? Brother Westenberger surre- want to go out under the church. I I never said, hey, you need to go out under your local. never said that to him. We weren't trying to do that. Do you realize that we have over 800 different churches around this country that send money in to missionaries out of Madison Baptist Church every month. We didn't do that. God did that. Brother Tony just tried to be faithful, and he has been all these years. Our missionaries have just tried to be faithful. I've tried to be faithful, and somehow this mission board, it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And we only take people that are out of Madison Baptist Church. We don't take people who aren't members here. So we're not recruiting people from the outside. This is amazing. God's just simply done that. And because of that, because these missionaries go out, you're known about. I, I'm known about by people. I don't have a clue who they are. And uh, so, you know, when people say, oh, Mike Allison, I don't know whether to duck or pucker, man. I'm not sure. But the praise of separation, it's amazing what God can do with anybody. We still talk today even about that little boy that gave his lunch to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? 2,000 years we're still talking about that little boy that gave his lunch to Jesus. And Jesus used it to feed 5,000 men plus women and children that were there. It's amazing what God can use you to do if you are surrendered to him, not only that, there's the purging of separation, the praise of separation, but then the place, uh, placement of separation. He says sanctified, meet for the master's use. That word sanctified means to set apart for a special and a particular purpose. God wants to sanctify you. That doesn't mean some spooky thing that goes through your body. It means, yeah, really, it means to set you apart for his service. It is personal separation. Christians are set apart by God for service. He says, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy steps. If you want to know what God wants you to do, just acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He'll put you where He wants you. God can do that, and He does. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 17, He says, Wherefore, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. From the passage, He mentions that there are vessels that are on display. And there are are vessels that are used. And there are those that are out in the shed, unused. That jar that instead of being in the house where it may be used for somebody to have a nice sip of tea, may be out in the shed with some turpentine in it and a paintbrush. And nobody sees it. That's just where it's at. Some vessels to honor, some vessels to dishonor. NBC, we just bought 100 new chairs and we got 150 more new chairs coming. Uh, You may have seen them if you went back in the fellowship hall today. Uh, I think back in junior church, they had some of them set up too. We need some new chairs. Now, we have got all kinds of different chairs for people to sit in. Now, we've got pews out here. I'd like to eventually go to chairs. We'll see whatever comes of that. But I look up here. Here are some of our chairs right here. Aren't these nice? These are nice chairs. These chairs right here are auditorium chairs. These are not chairs for the fellowship hall. They're not chairs for the gymnasium for junior church. Uh, They're definitely not chairs for the three- and four-year-old Sunday school classes. And they're not even chairs for the choir practice room. They are chairs for in here. One day, these chairs were in a factory. I'm sure all of these chairs came out of the same factory, for that matter. And then Madison Baptist Church bought them. And out of all the thousands of chairs that that factory may have had, this group of chairs was set apart for Madison Baptist Church. Sanctified, that is set apart for our use. As a matter of fact, we put them up here. They look nice. People around the world on the Internet see these chairs every time they look at one of our broadcasts. They're set apart for a special job. Now, we've got some chairs that are just metal chairs. And they're put in the rougher places of the church. Because if they get torn apart, who cares? You can sit in one of those as easy, may not be as comfortable as one of these. We've got different chairs for different Sunday school rooms. For kids, we've got some of those hard plastic form chairs uh, in different places, kids have a way of being a little rough with those. We've got, we've got nice chairs for teachers to set in, for instance. Uh, we've got so many different kinds of chairs, and they all do different things. And our chairs have different purposes. You see, we don't want to use these chairs when we have dinner on the ground. They'll end up with way too many marks on them, too many stains on them. We don't want that for that because these chairs... Our special chairs. I don't have a clue how much they cost, but I'm sure it was too much when we got them. And because of that, we're going to take care of them. I mean, I would to God that all the Madison Baptist Church people, including the young people, would be careful with the chairs we do have. Guess what chairs are meant for? Sitting. Not standing. Sitting. I can't tell you. You remember when we used to get those uh, uh, balsa wood type of tables and you know you couldn't have them very long because even though there'd be chairs at the table people would sit in the middle of the table and they'd eventually bend and break and go down now we've got <laughs> strong pl- <laughs> plastic tables but you know we've had those for a number of years but guess what happens if enough people sit in the middle of them and yet we didn't buy them to be sat on. We got them to be sat at. They weren't used for what they were supposed to be used for. I didn't mean to spit on everybody down here. Man, you know, I know it's bound to happen. What I hate is when the lighting is so that I see it. Of course, I guess it's even worse when they see it coming. Oh, no. No. Having another shower here. (laughs) But that's the placement of separation. God has a place for you. We get all worried about the where when the truth is, if I acknowledge him in all my ways, he'll put me where he wants me. So I need to be not concerned about the where, but concerned about acknowledging him in all my ways. Then there's the purpose of separation. As he says here in the verse, meet... For the master's use. By personal separation, a Christian makes himself qualified for service to the Lord. Uh, Let me say, there may be a number of things that you, uh, a few things that you can't do, but there's an awful lot every Christian can do. Uh, For instance, there are only two offices in the church, and in those two offices in the church, pastor and deacons, there are some qualifications and only... Men who meet those qualifications can be those. Now, I know that's not popular in a woke society like ours or in a transgendered society like what we have today because, for instance, there are people of one gender who claim to be another gender. They are so self-deluded. They don't understand the very basics of God's own creation and biology and science, and that's a shame. But we understand it. We understand that God made them male and female. Men can be pastors, ladies can't. Men can be deacons, ladies can't. It's as simple as that. Now the word deacon itself means servant. The lady can be a servant, but she can't be a part of the office of deacon. It's only to males. God says so. As a matter of fact, both the pastor and the deacons have to be husband of one wife. In both cases, the wife can make the Pastor or deacon disqualified. If she's not careful with her mouth, her husband's not qualified. I don't care if he meets all the other qualifications. The word that is used in First Timothy chapter three is the word diabolos. It literally means is the wife cannot be slanderers. That's how it's translated, and that's a proper translation. Of course, it's in our King James, but it is interesting. The word translated uh, translated slanderers is the word diabolos, which also means devils. Because that's what the devil is. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's a slanderer. And you may have the finest man in all the world, but if his wife is a slanderer, she can't shut her mouth. She has to continue to talk bad about people. He's not qualified. Same way, if the pastor has a wife that way, then he's not qualified. Now, when you deal with, deal with the qualifications of pastor and deacon, that's only for pastor and deacons. That's not for any other position in the church. Hey, this is good stuff. Y'all say amen right there. Amen right there. I mean, this, this is important. Uh, don't, don't become a Calvinist in spirit by trying to reason your way to every other thing. I know churches where if a person's been divorced and remarried, that they can't even be a member of the church. Really? I know of places where a divorced person who's been remarried to somebody else cannot be a choir member. They can't sing in the choir. I know one church where they couldn't even go soul winning. They couldn't spread the gospel. And that had been the case and Jesus would have rebuked the woman at the well. She brought the whole town to Jesus. Jesus didn't say, hey, you can't do that. You've had five husbands. What's wrong with you, woman? You can't do that. That wasn't Jesus. Not what he said. See, the qualifications are for pastor and deacons. The Bible's really plain about that. How do you know that? It says it. That's 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let me get back. You got me off my subject that I was hitting really good too. Meet for the master's use. By personal separation, a Christian makes himself qualified for service to the Lord. Isaiah 52, 11, depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence, touch no unclean thing, go ye out of the midst of her, be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. Hey, how many of you have a favorite coffee cup? Raise your hand. You got a favorite coffee cup. Now the reality is, I'm a Christian, I don't drink coffee. All right. (laughs) You Pharisee. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's the thing. Today, you can't kid. Everybody gets offended. So there, Internet. All right. How many of you have a favorite chair? Yeah, I've got a favorite chair at my house, and I don't want my wife to sit in it. That's my chair. I don't want to go in there and have to sit in her chair because she's sitting in my chair. She has to move. My chair. Hey, how many of you fishermen have a favorite lure that you like to use? Any? Uh, you know, we don't have as many fishermen as what we used to have. We only got just a few now. And, um, but you got a favorite lure. And yet, fish will bite on other lures, but you've got a favorite one. That you, it's your favorite one. Well, guess what? You want to be a vessel of honor in God's house for God's service? one that God would desire to use, like Job. When God wanted to use one of his children in that battle against the devil in the book of Job, he says, Hast thou considered my servant Job? Lord, I, I, man, I just want to serve you any way you'd have me to serve you. Oh, but not that, Lord. That's hard. Don't send me there, Lord. Don't have me do this. I'll serve you if you let me do what I want now then you really don't want to serve him you're wanting to serve yourself i didn't ask about favorite golf clubs but i was thinking about it so some of you fishermen won't feel like you're being picked on in scripture it seems that god used the angel michael and the angel gabriel in a number of different cases and yet there are a lot more angels than that now there are some angels that are not named but these are named The enemies of God, they had their favorite too. The enemies of God had their Goliath. And God had David. I mean, all those other servants that were out there in God's army. And none of them them volunteered to go out and fight Goliath. But God had one, David, a ruddy youth. And God used him to get the victory. Because it didn't matter about the size of the person that was flinging the stone. All that mattered was the size of the God that the one flinging the stone was trusting in. That's all that counts. Well, I can't teach a Sunday school. Who am I to teach a Sunday school? Hey, surrender to God. Let God use you. You'd be surprised what God can do if you just let him use you. A vessel unto honor. The purpose of separation. You know, when I went to Uganda back in, I think it was, Let's see, that would have been 93. I know because it was on my 25th wedding anniversary. What a place to go on my 25th wedding anniversary. And um, at that point, they told me that there were 17 million people in Uganda. Of course, it had been devastated by war. It was being devastated by AIDS at the time and so on. Uh, The last number that I heard was the one Brother Hudson gave us that was with us a few weeks ago where he said there are 42 million people in the country now, so it's grown a lot during these years. But it is absolutely amazing in, in that country what God has done in that place. Think about this for a moment because as far as I know, Brother Tony was the first independent Baptist missionary to go to Uganda after the reign of Idi Amin. Now, numbers of other missionaries have gone since. He was the one that paved the way, as far as I know. We had seven missionary families there out of Madison Baptist Church at one time. There are churches literally all over the country that were started because of somebody going out of Madison Baptist Church That paved the way. Now who would have thought. There could have been that kind of impact. As a matter of fact. I don't know of anybody. Who's had the vision. To do what's being done in Rwanda. With the several different preaching points. That are going on. And this all goes back to. Madison Baptist Church. In the little city. Of Madison Alabama. The impact. That is felt in those countries in the middle of Africa. Meet for the master's use. God wants to use you. It has nothing to do with your size. It has nothing to do with your talent. It has to do with you making the decisions to be separated to his work. Meet for the master's use. So there's the purging of separation, the praise of separation, the placement of separation, the purpose of separation, and then the product. He says, prepared unto every good work. The result of personal separation is service that is evaluated as good in the eyes of the Lord. In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. uh, God has steps that people must take for service. Paul had some steps he had to take. He got born again. He immediately began witnessing for the Lord and then God put him on the backside of the desert for three years. There's stuff he needed to know. When he came back from that, actually Barnabas went and got him to help him at the church at Antioch. So here's Paul after being saved now for at least three years, and he goes as the assistant pastor, if you would, for Brother Barnabas. And when they go out on their first missionary journey, Barnabas is the leader in the beginning. And then God changed that around. And then later for the second missionary journey, God divided those two up, sent Barnabas one place with John Mark and Paul the other place with Silas and Timothy. But God is the one who has done that work. We don't want to give Paul the praise for it. That's God who did it. Just simply being surrendered to him. I mentioned Pastor Davis a lot. My wife's had some pictures out on the counter from back in the 90s, and I was looking at some pictures of Pastor Davis. What a good godly man. Brother Tony brought him in here to start Madison Bible Institute. Man, that would have been probably, what, about 1988? 1987 something like that when that started great number of our people have been through the institute and i personally believe that's been one of the main reasons for the strength and maturity of madison baptist church but pastor davis he would tell me uh there near the end of his life he said pastor the last 10 years i remember he had been a full-time pastor he was tony's pastor uh, before when tony was young uh but he told me he said these last 10 years have been the most fruitful years, ministry-wise, of my life. Why? He just like God used him. He was prepared unto any good work that God would have him do. You see, God's people are to be different. A contrast to the lost world. And this difference is personal separation. Separation from evil. Separation from error, separation from the appetites of the flesh, separation from ignorance. And this separation is definitely beneficial and causes service to be both effective and powerful. It's God who does it. In Luke chapter 5, Peter and some of the apostles are out on the Sea of Galilee. They've been fishing all night. They've caught nothing. And Jesus simply said to them, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. Now, that doesn't even make any sense. And imagine telling a fisherman who's known the waters, who's fished in the waters all of their lives, this is their livelihood, this is what they've done. And you tell them, hey, just throw the net on the other side of the boat. What are we talking about, 10 yards? But the catch was so great that it began to break the nets. They had to throw in more nets. Now, why didn't that happen? Because they were great fishermen? No, they just did what the Lord said. And God did it. Christian, are you separated unto the Lord? But you have to make some decisions. When you look at the highest part of service of this separation, I think we'd be, that we would be talking about Disciples. And yet he tells us in Luke chapter 14 that there are certain things, if we're not willing to make these decisions, then we cannot be his disciples. Everybody can't handle it because not everybody's willing to make the decisions that Jesus said has to be made. You can be a vessel to honor or a vessel to dishonor. What do you want to be? Purge yourself, therefore. And you can be a vessel of honor. I don't care who you are. I don't care how many people you think know you or like you. It has nothing to do with that. You do God's will. And he'll do great things with you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, there's some young people tonight. Maybe some pre-teens, some who are teens. If they'll get this, they look at themselves and think, no, I... I don't think I could accomplish much. But Lord, you've made it very plain here in your word. They can be a vessel unto honor. There are some things they need to purge themselves from. Lord, we've got singles here tonight. The world's telling them all the things they can't do. And they'll never be much unless they go with the flow of the world. And yet you say that we're to purge ourselves from the very world that the world's trying to draw them away. God, I pray tonight there would be some surrender of some single young people, some young couples, some middle-aged couples. You'll do great things with them. Lord, I'm still always amazed when I see what you've done with Brother Jim Davison. He wanted to be an evangelist, but he was surrendered to you no matter what. And yes, he's done evangelism work, but you directed him to the prisons and have used him, the hundreds of souls that's been brought to Christ through his ministry, a vessel unto honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use. May there be that sweet surrender. Without that surrender to separation, there'll not be a vessel unto honor. So have your way tonight in every life, I plead, in Jesus' name.